every painting is sort of a, a meditation on where I am in my life, what I'm going through, what I'm thinking about. It's the evolution of my philosophy, my my you know view of life, view of myself. So with each one, I'm sort of having a little revelation and then moving on to the next one and having another little revelation and hopefully and hopefully it's different. I try not to repeat myself. Hello and welcome to Arts In, affectionately known as AI, a podcast produced by Creative Finellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and today I am with painter extraordinaire Stephen Kinney. Hello, Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for Appreciate coming. It. For someone who might not be familiar with your work or your style, can you just lay it out for us? I imagine when somebody sees my work for the first time, they, in the first second, might confuse it for a painting they might see in a museum, like an old master. But in this next moment, they realize that it isn't because of the fact that it's I work surreally. So they're very often might look like they're straightforward portraits, but then you realize that there's uh, other things happening. So with most of my work, I, I employ the human figure and incorporate natural elements that they are either interacting with or wearing. And, and the, the, the reason I do that is to try to give a glimpse into who they are as individuals, what they might be experiencing internally or psychologically. And in the end, I just want to make a, a, a beautiful painting, hopefully, that uh, people can enjoy. This sort of interesting contradiction in your work uh, very gentle things, you mm -hmm. know, children mm -hmm. and women and the lion sleeping with the lamb kind of mm -hmm. moment in time where everything is very calm and, and tentative and lovely. And then there's this cataclysmic element. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a quality that uh, I think about quite a bit in each of the paintings. Uh, very often there's, there, there's sort of a frozen moment Either something's just about to happen or something has just happened. And for me, that's like a, a critical transition point that not even so much consciously always comes up, but a lot of the paintings kind of revolve around that. And as far as the nature, they have a lot to do with the unpredictability of nature and just as far as I'm concerned, life in general. Because I think we so often try to freeze our own personal realities. You know, we, we prefer that things not change dramatically and that we have a sense of sort of guiding our, our lives, which we kind of, I think, talk ourselves into believing. But um, there's always something that comes along to shake things up. That tornado painting, there was a joke that wherever it went, there was a tornado because it obviously started out here in St. Petersburg and Irma came and then I sent it off to the gallery in New Orleans and uh, Nate showed up. And so I'm kind of glad to be rid of that painting. Well, will you describe that painting? So It started with, like a lot of my paintings, a photograph, a found photograph, uh, in that case, a ballerina. And her gesture, the way her legs were, just triggered that connection in my mind to the shape of a tornado. I've done other paintings too where the figures are, are half. I'm thinking of one called the rain gown, G-O-W-N, where it's sort of similar. The, the upper half of the figure is a woman and then the gown she's wearing is just this downpour of rain. It's, it's similar to that one. And in the tornado, 
she's obviously moving forward. You're looking at a sort of Midwestern landscape, kind of barren. She's going left to right, and on the right side of the painting, you see a little farmhouse there, and which she's obviously going to, well, you don't know what's going to happen. But <laughs> And she's already sort of whipped up this red pickup truck that's kind of swirling around. So... Yeah, again, it's one of those moments in time where something's going to happen and we can kind of assume, but we're not sure. She's beautiful is the thing. And she looks she looks totally disinterested in the fact that she's a tornado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just <laughs> doing her thing. Yeah, she's sort of benign and quite lovely. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, the way I kind of think of nature in general. We, we tend to personify it and think of hurricanes and things as meaning ill and, and having bad motives and, and that sort of thing. But it's, it's just a perfectly natural event. But it's one of those things that disrupts our peace and calm that we like to you know, pretend is, is indestructible. And then you also often have elements of nature, like you put a shell on someone's Mm -hmm. head or a piece of coral, or Mm -hmm. it's a juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. There was a time years ago when I was really interested in kind of on top of the fashion world. Actually, my ex-wife was a um, designer and worked in fashion in, in New York City, so it was just always a topic, you know, at home. And that sort of filtered into my work, and I, that's when I started creating costumes, so to speak, out of natural elements, wooden dresses and uh, stone dresses. And then that led into more of a statement about humans being part of nature, adorning themselves in natural elements. Part of it has to do with the idea of camouflage. I think that's something we do constantly. We're always trying to blend into our, our individual environments rather than stand out. So it had a little bit to do with that, a little bit to do with just that uh, sort of symbiotic relationship that we have, whether we like to think of it or not. Well, that's interesting you said camouflage because the interesting thing about your characters is very often they're looking out at the viewer. And their, their gaze is sort of very direct and, in a way, turning the whole notion of the viewer gazing at the painting upside mm. down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what they have adorned themselves with, or what you as an artist have adorned them with, makes them kind of peculiar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and they're odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here you are saying, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about as an artist, people's tendency to camouflage and blend in. And yet your painting is doing something that, that is very attention grabbing. Mm-hmm. There's a few things about that. One is, first of all, every, everything I do is autobiographical to some degree. And I paint a lot of single figures. I've only recently started to do paintings that had more than one because I... I used to think of them, because they're autobiographical, almost as mirrors. So me looking at the painting and the painting looking back at me was sort of uh, me just painting myself. But there's another aspect to it too, which has to do with, I think when any viewer looks at a painted portrait of someone else, they're always looking for resemblances to themselves or recognizable elements we're always looking for those people who look like us, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just a very instinctive aspect of who we are. So, I don't know, maybe what I'm doing with the, uh, with the unexpected elements is just trying to break that pattern a little bit and, and ask people to think of themselves differently, maybe. Is it also you thinking about yourself differently? Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Every painting is sort of a, a meditation on 
where I am in my life, what I'm going through, what I'm thinking about. It's it's a it's a whole evolving. It's the evolution of my philosophy, my my you know view of life, view of myself. So every single one is kind of an extension of the one that came before it. And I and I only do if I can help it work on one painting at a time. So with each one, I'm sort of having a little revelation and then moving on to the next one and having another little revelation and hopefully and hopefully it's different I try not to repeat myself the one I'm working on now which I'm stuck on is kind of two figures but I'm cheating a little bit uh, you've got a landscape sort of a beach scene on the left hand side is it's wooded and on the right hand side it opens up to the beach and you can see to the horizon and on the wooded side, there is a figure. And again, I, I work with a lot of found photographs. So I had a photo of a, I think he was probably World War I soldier looking very, he was very stiffly posed. These are a lot of them turn of the century, black and white photographs. So he's standing there with his hand on the table and his legs crossed, and he just looked very stiff to me. So the next place my mind went was to remove his body and have his suit supported by trees that were growing up through his pant legs and through his jacket sleeve and that sort of thing and out through the, his, the neck line of his jacket. So he's one figure. And then next to him on the right hand side is a tree stump cut off cleanly with uh, again another little actually young girl ballerina perched on top of the tree stump and she's reaching down with one hand almost touching his shoulder and the other hand is pointed up towards the sky. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with the tree stump because it, it, it's, it's asking for something. And at this point I'm thinking maybe a woodpecker carving something into the tree stump that will kind of be a, a sort of comment on what might be happening there. But if, if that goes on too long, if I, you know, uh, hammer away at, pun intended, the idea of a woodpecker but I don't come up with anything, I'll eventually get to the place where I realize, okay, that's that's me trying to force it, and I'll just let it go and either not do anything or start looking for something else. And, and the whole time I'm thinking about this woodpecker, I am open to other suggestions, too, of other things that might replace it, and it's dragging on, but I can't finish it until I have that, until I resolve it the way that feels right. So... I think it's got something to do with this little girl, the ballerina. Uh, I see her as the daughter of this figure who, this military figure. So he's rooted, planted, he's not going anywhere. He's not even himself or who he was. She's standing on a, a stump, which to me sort of represents a decision that she's made not to become, you know, a carbon copy of, of him and or wind up in that fate. Dancers obviously are moving, so I, it's a painting about that transition from all the transitions of where you find yourself in at birth to wherever you may wind up, you know, at the end of your life. Also, it strikes me as old world and new world. Mm -hmm. You also said that this is a new thing for you to have more than one mm -hmm. human being mm -hmm. type. Right. So I'm guessing that both figures are autobiographical for you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because I um, still recognize in myself those those sort of rigid, very rigid qualities that 
a lot of them I've tried to overcome, but also with age have come to realize that a lot of them are actually, you know, pretty good too. So it's a matter of learning from experience, which aspects of myself are worth keeping, which aren't, and you know, where I need to go, what I'd like to become. So when you do a painting, you don't necessarily know what you're doing. Not, not anymore. I don't mean technically. No, that, that's true. That's perfect. That's really true. And it took a while for me to get to that place. And, and again, it goes back to that, that uncertainty factor that, that I like. When I first started out as an artist, I was an illustrator. And as an illustrator, to please the client, you have to show them exactly what the finished illustration is going to look like before you start so that they know exactly what they're going to get. And I started out in my fine art career doing that same thing. It sort of takes the excitement out of working on the painting. You know, it's, at that point, you're just coloring in. And then now you... Now I'll just start with the main element that I feel strongly about and just trust that other things, I'll find a way to finish it as I go along. And there are times, too, when I start out working on a painting and elements that are there in the beginning will get removed so it's it's constantly moving back and forth. How do they get removed? Do you just paint over them? Yeah, I'll just decide that uh, it wasn't such a good idea. Or the idea itself changes as I'm working on it and I think of something better. So yeah, that's with oil paint you can just, it's very forgiving that way. So you're kind of in a dialogue with your painting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very subconscious process. It's mostly just the the physical painting process because I it's just part of my personality I beginning any painting it always looks like a mess it, it looks like a disaster and that really bothers me I, I don't like looking at this ugly thing and sometimes rarely it'll everything will just kind of hit the ground running and it, and it actually looks uh, good in its own way but there's that point too when you're first beginning where it looks beautiful and free and effortless and uh, and that doesn't happen very often for me, very rarely. So it's it's usually an ugly, very difficult process. You just have to sit there and, and do it. And that's one of the hard parts of being an artist. You just have to, again, have faith that it's gonna work out. And it's just putting in the hours of just sitting there and putting paint on, putting paint on, putting paint on. I, I always think of with each painting, it's kind of like climbing a mountain. It's it's real hard work in the beginning. And you just got to believe that you're going to get to the top and just keep going and keep trudging up the hill. And then at some point, it starts to get a little bit easier. And then you, at least I know at that point, I'm close to that turning point And it suddenly gets very easy. When I look at your work, I don't see the agony of the work. That's probably the perfectionist in me, not wanting to let people see the struggle. And a big factor in all of my work is to try to present something that, probably to try to remove as many elements that could be criticized as possible, or, or show quote unquote weakness. And I'm not sure if that's a, a strength or not, actually. I think it might be uh, a lack of vulnerability, maybe on my part. Part of it too is trying to show off, I think. You know, I've been doing this for 33 
years now professionally. So yeah, I do want to make a, I hate the word product, that is, well, of the value that I'm asking people to pay for them too. And that's one of the things that a lot of buyers are attracted to is that degree of facility with paint in addition to whatever the image is or the message is. Well, somebody said to me that your your painting technique and the, the skill that you brought to it was like an old master. Just the traditional, amazing brushwork and color depth. Um, it's true in that uh, that's where I get probably most of my inspiration from is the old masters. What's different is having gone to school for illustration, we really got no painting instruction or minimal, minimal. So I'm an idiot when it comes to the technical aspects of painting. My, my process is so incredibly simple. And I listen to friends of mine who, who really do know what they're talking about. And they sound like chemists to me. Or So I don't, you know, do it the way that the old masters did. All right. I accept that. But technically, you can't look at one of your paintings and not recognize the technical skill there. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. You are an, an artist of international renown. Yeah, I've shown uh, internationally. I was exhibiting a lot more in Europe for a while, but I've stopped. I've, I've probably, especially since moving to Florida, I'm really focusing, concentrating on more of a local, the local art scene. But I guess I've kind of done it all in terms of exhibiting overseas, traveling overseas. I have paintings in collections around the world, private collections. As far as museums, the only two that I'm in at the moment are the Contemporary Museum of Art in Catania, Sicily, and locally the Lieber Ratner Museum that took uh, two paintings last year for their permanent collection. So you started out as an illustrator, you know, in the world of commerce, and you created work for businesses that needed graphic design. Mm -hmm. So you were in that world, and then you made a transition to this interdirected world to create the images and the storytelling, visual storytelling mm -hmm. that you wanted to create. Was that kind of a gradual process, or was there a moment when you... Um, it was kind of gradual, it? but um, while I was in school, in the illustration department, at RISD, it was great in the beginning, but by the third year, I hated it. For the reason that, as in the illustration world, the assignments that we were given, if you didn't come in with the resolution that the instructor was looking for, you, you it wasn't re received very well. So everybody would come in at the end of the week with all of their answers to this assignment, and everybody, they would put their work up on the wall, and it would all look the same. And I hated that. And I tried to transfer into the painting department, but they said it was too late. I couldn't do it. Luckily, the school had a European honors program, so I was able to spend my last year in Rome studying independently. And that's where I really started my painting career. But ironically, when I came back to the States, I couldn't. Find, I was living in New York City, couldn't find a gallery to represent me, so I fell back on my illustration training and for the next 13 years or so did nothing but illustration. As an illustrator, you develop, most people do, a style. And I kind of had two. One was... This was before Photoshop. So if you wanted a surreal image, you either did it photographically in a dark room or hired an illustrator who could work surrealistically. And actually there was a demand for illustrators who could work in the style of Salvador Dali. And I could do that. So that was one half of my illustration work. The other was pretty much what I'm doing now, this sort of blending of 
humans and natural elements. So my painting career got started while I was an illustrator. And as an illustrator, I got a reputation as someone who could do those two things. So more and more work started coming. Things were going very well as, as an illustrator. Then I moved from New York to Virginia uh, and ironically found a good gallery in Washington, D.C. And then I was able to start making the transition, but it was a slow transition from illustration to fine art. How, how many paintings do you make in a year? That used to be easy to answer. My, my best year that I ever had in terms of productivity was 16 paintings. Wow. Now it's down to about seven, but the only reason it's down to about seven is that I have this sort of sideline that I do, which is those, if you've seen those little royal animals that I do, you're aware of those? And I've been doing them for years, but they've gotten really popular and it, it, it's, it's kind of cramping my style. <laughs> Are they 2D or 3D? They're, they're two-dimensional. They're little paintings, seven by seven inches, roughly. It started out being just birds with these sort of rustic gold crowns on them. Oh, I, I have seen them. And I kind of kept them a secret for as long as I could. But literally right now I'm working on, I think, at least 10 of them in my studio. And they take time. But you don't call those paintings? I think of those more as illustrations. And I'm, I'm trying to keep them... <laughs> Their popularity keeps growing, and I keep, which takes me away from the time that I usually spend doing my quote-unquote fine art. So anyway, I have to. That's why I kind of qualify the number of paintings well, I get done. I think the people who buy those, they think that they've bought a Stephen Kinney painting. Well, they have. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, minimize them. It's just not my my quote-unquote real work. But you know, the people love. And for any artist, if you have something that's more affordable because there's so many people who would love to own a larger painting and can't afford it so to get one of the smaller ones they're happy to to have those yeah yeah the show that will be happening at the Lieber ratner museum that the title is internal landscapes and my paintings are always about showing externally what or alluding to in, in external means what the figure that I'm painting might be experiencing internally. So I'm trying to use surrealism to explore two separate worlds in one world. I'm using figures to talk about who we are, who I am, what it means to be human, that sort of thing. But it's been a whole process of contemplating nature because I think nature if we look at it and think about it and, and investigate it, the whole life lesson is there for us to, to see if we choose to and accept. So for me, when I was growing up, I was taught that all we had to do was work hard, save our money, all that sort of thing, do your best and everything will work out fine. And I really believed that for a long time until the shit hit the fan. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I got divorced. My parents died. This all happened within a couple of years. And suddenly I felt like I'd been really betrayed by the world, by God. Um, you know, I felt as if all of that effort that I had put into working hard to, to make sure that my life would move in a certain direction got, you know, the rug got pulled out from underneath me. So as I evolve, it's, it's a matter of trying to convince myself that change is okay. I'm going to die someday, um, bad things are going to happen, 
and there's really nothing or very little I can do to it's it's, it's all this evolving personal outlook that I'm trying to convince myself of through my work. You use dancers a lot in your paintings. Yeah, they keep popping up. Yeah, there's certain things that keep coming back. And I think, for me, dancers do just sort of represent that element of personal freedom, freedom of expression. I know you've collaborated, you've done some photography with some dancers that then make their way into your paintings. Yeah, yeah. Particularly one time there was a... Uh, I had an idea um, to hire a, a model who was also a dancer, and I had some ideas, so I had her pose in different poses for paintings that I eventually did make, but then the rest of the session I just asked her to move, and I just kept taking photographs with the intention that in those photographs there would be poses, and that's and that's why I work from found photographs so much. I feel like, and this also goes back to the, the whole illustration thing, if I come up with the idea before gathering the material I need to, to, to make the painting, and I'm always working from photographs, that in itself kind of stunts the, the, pro, the whole process. So I thought if I had her just moving, that's very different than me just posing her, taking a photograph. So by looking at those photographs that came out of that session, there, there's probably four or five at least that have then gone on to become paintings. Wow. And it's, it's a matter of seeing an image that sparks an idea rather than having the idea and then you know chasing the image afterwards. And I, I love working that way. Yep. So how do you find your found photographs? I never know. Uh, actually, bride magazines are good places. <laughs> <laughs> I also... Um, once a week or so, I get a, uh, a post from this website that specializes in turn-of-the-century photographs. So those come by email once a week, and very often uh, I'll see one of those, like the one from the painting I'm working on now, that I may not get an idea when I see it, but it'll hold my attention for a few seconds. And if, if it holds my attention for any more than like five seconds, I'll know there's a potential something there. So I'll, I'll just save it. You're also a writer. Mm -hmm. Is that something that has always been true for you? Or? Um, I suppose, and yet, ironically, I think the words come after, because the way that I work is very subconscious. I try not to put a name on things or my paintings until they're done, and that's when I sit down and think about them. I try to let them just sort of create themselves while I'm working on them and not think about it too much. And this is one reason why I'm so interested in Dali, too, the whole allowing the subconscious to have its say. I think there's a lot of wealth there, mm -hmm. a lot of value in that. So I try to let my subconscious sort of lead the way. Dali came up with this process that he called his paranoid critical method. And what that is, is allowing your subconscious to do its work and just, you know, allowing images to rise into your conscious, but then once that happens, then you edit. So that what goes on the canvas comes from both places, your subconscious mind doing its work and, and not stopping that or interfering with that, but then rather than just vomiting all that onto the canvas to then consciously work with those images and make something interesting mm -hmm. and meaningful out of it. That's pretty much kind of how I operate. 
A lot of it is purely compositional, too. You know, I'll look at the way a painting is going and just feel that it needs another element to balance it or usually make it more interesting in some way. That's the thing. I, if, if something occurs to me and tells me that it wants to be in the painting, and if it feels right, I won't question it, and I won't know why the armadillo appears or uh, you know any of the things that pop in there. If it feels right and I don't have an intellectual reason for doing it, I'll still just put it in there anyway. But then after it's in there, or do you ever say, ah, <laughs> that's who you are? Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot, sometimes years later. And paintings can take on completely different meanings for me over time, too. Elegance is sort of, the idea of elegance is sort of always in the back of my mind as I'm creating each painting. So you have to know when to stop putting things in there. Because I know a lot of my fellow surrealists go by that philosophy of the crazier you can make it the better it is and it just gets it's kind of meaningless that sort of approach although you can have a painting that's absolutely full of details too and it can be incredibly elegant so it's all a matter of how you do it but I try to be aware of that how much is too much when a painting does need something and when to take something out I have enjoyed this conversation a lot, and I, I feel that we've really explored, a, had a good exploration of your work, but before I leave the conversation, I really wanted to thank you for something, which was, as a grantee for Creative Pinellas, one of the things that we ask people to do is to write about their process. It's money that the county has charged us with helping the arts community, and, and we feel very deeply obligated to do that in the most life-affirming way possible, we felt that having the blog would be a way that the public could also benefit mm -hmm. from the funds that we give to the artists. Mm -hmm. Because if they start getting involved in the story and you know following you as an artist, kind of enjoying what they're reading and seeing, then more people are benefiting than sure. just the artists that we right. gave the grant to. And right. that was our theory, and actually we're finding out that that's really true. And you got a comment from somebody saying, oh, you shouldn't be taking time writing. You should just be painting. <laughs> and you wrote back and said, I like this. I like the writing. Uh, and, yeah, it's helpful. It's very helpful. That process of sitting down and, and coherently forming ideas about just why I do what I do and how I do it. I think that's incredibly helpful. Nice to get a, a glimpse inside the artist's mind. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, Stephen Kinney, it has been such a pleasure and Great. really very truthful about your work. So I Great. appreciate it so well, much. Well, thanks to you and Creative Pinellas for having me. And it was a great opportunity and honor. Thanks. Oh, my pleasure. This is Barbara St. Clair from Creative Pinellas, and I have been talking with Stephen Kinney, who has a show at the Leaper Ratner in January, February, and, and through... Into April. And if you are listening to this in the Pinellas County area or planning to come to Pinellas County, the Leaper Ratner is a wonderful museum, and this exhibit will be one not to be missed. Thanks. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.